Hello everyone and welcome back to Golden Chips and you can see my face for the first time because we have a very esteemed guest today. We have Andrew, also known as Tech Team GB and the man behind At The Wheel. How are you doing mate? How are you doing? Hello, not too bad thank you. Um, that's a very uh, very kind, uh, kind entrance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know the pandemic hasn't really been kind to us so like, how have you how have you handled it? How have you been through this whole time? Because I know in the UK I'm not sure. Like, it's different by area, so it's very, very variable. How's it been for you? Not too bad, really. I mean, I, I've, I'm a full-time YouTuber, which is kind of a still a weird thing to say, but um, I, I don't really go out much anyway. Um, I do still, you know, plenty of hobbies and friends and things, but um, I don't, I don't go to work. I don't, you know, I don't go out clubbing or whatever. I, I'm not a a very social person generally um, yeah which is ironic because i'm on social media but anyway uh so it, the initial lockdowns nothing really changed i was still you know going cycling with friends or cars or motorbikes or whatever so not much um as it's kind of progressed it's kind of been getting a bit more frustrating but yeah it's like the novelty wore off the novelty wore off by i think the second one and after that, it's just been grating. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I say, I'm really, really thankful for you to come on because I actually I contacted some some of our listeners and they did send in a few questions. I think the main one and probably one that you get a lot is how how you actually started, like why you picked tech for one, and how you actually got your foot in the door, as it were. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So the the short answer is that uh, one, I've been doing this for a uh, just disgusting amount of time. <laughs> um, I think I, I I created the channel uh, on February twenty eighth, two thousand and twelve. So I've been doing it a while. Uh, the The answer to to how it started, uh, me and two friends had all pretty much recently built gaming PCs. I'd built mine for Christmas and birthday, that you know December January period. Um, and so I just got a gaming PC. I was playing games on it. And the way that I learned how to build a PC was watching people like Linus on NCX Tech Tips. Um, and so we all thought, that looks like fun. We've all got a couple of cameras. Yeah, why not? Um, so we started making videos. Um, and then uh, over time, the, the other guys, uh, I suppose, lost interest in doing tech reviews and that sort of thing. Um, and so it became my uh, <laughs> responsibility. Um, in terms of getting a foot in the door, uh, probably a bit of, uh, not arrogance, but a bit um, almost blind ignorance and faith in your, well, not really thinking about your yourself for, from the outside. Um, and so kind of pestering people, but uh, also uh, understanding that you have to be giving them something in return yeah uh it's probably the main thing yeah because you think that when you're working with companies it's it's an exchange of value it's i know that there's a big misconception around like oh it's free samples and they're giving you free products but it, there's yeah. an exchange of value there it's like you're providing honest coverage of this product for this company in return for them giving you all the tools and everything that you need for said coverage yeah, it's it's a the the trade is effectively promotion for uh, often just a relatively limited space of time with the product. So uh, one of the I suppose misconceptions is that everything that you see featured on my channel is uh, either I paid for it, which I don't know how I would afford that, um, or uh, that the companies who send me it, it's now like mine, it's mine forever. Yeah, the vast vast majority of things that I review go back or are what are called rotation samples so um, me being not the smallest but certainly not the biggest um, I'm normally second third fourth in the queue so for example uh, I had a laptop picked up this morning um, actually it was the, the video that went out on Monday the Asus Flow X13 yeah the X13 I believe that was yeah so that um, that laptop well I think I had it for two or three weeks total um, video went out Monday, picked up on Wednesday, gone. I'll never see it again. <laughs> and that's the story of that. Yeah, because you can, 
I think a lot of people just think, oh, look at all the boxes they've got in the background. They they must have really deep pockets. Yeah, no, no. Um, like I do, I do buy uh, tech sometimes. I recently bought um, a, a all three of the new. Well, I say all three: the fifty uh, fifty six hundred X, fifty eight hundred X, and fifty nine hundred X, and a 10850K to benchmark against. Um, so I, I do buy some things. But I definitely don't buy everything. Yeah, is especially I think when was it? Would it be fair to say that starting out, it was a, a costly endeavor in the sense that you didn't have those relationships with companies, so you did have there was an investment there. Like I said, we'd all just built our gaming PCs, so we're essentially reviewing the bits in the PC, um, or you know the the build as a whole, or like little features, little things that you do. Um, one of the first videos that got any level of success was um, back when physics used to be a thing. I know Ooh, that kind of dates me. That's a bit of a throwback. Uh, but back in the day, you could do what was called hybrid physics, where if you had a, let's say you had a, a relatively powerful AMD GPU, but you wanted physics and you didn't want to run it on your CPU, which was awful and terrible, you could use a relatively low-power NVIDIA graphics card and then tweak the drivers so that you were running both drivers simultaneously and that the NVIDIA card would run the physics and only the physics, and then your AMD GPU would, would actually rasterize the image. Ah, oh, I um, see, yeah. So, so that was one of the first uh, things that we had that, that went not viral by any stretch, but got any level of success. Um, so yeah, it, it, when you're just starting out, it, it's uh, definitely uh, can be costly because you, you won't be getting samples from companies. They they won't know who you are. They won't know any track record of you not, not just stealing anything they send you. <laughs> um, and uh, you won't necessarily be able to give something of value straight away in return. And so they won't be interested in having that deal with you. So yeah, you you, can't, you often need to be a bit creative when you start out. When you when you're starting out, you don't have that brand recognition. You don't have that track record to say like, "Here's what I've done. Here's what I can provide." But no, that's that's really <laughs> that's really insightful. But another thing that I got asked by one of our listen listeners is um, at the wheel. At the wheel, I want to switch gears a little really? bit. Um, what? What made you want to start that out as well, like alongside the tech channel? Was it just a love for cars alongside? Yeah, so um, the uh, I have uh, a great passion for cars. I have a great passion for many things. Um, <laughs> cars are definitely one of them, uh, and you've probably seen motorbikes as well. Um, and so having access to, especially like press events and things, is very a very nice experience getting to to drive lots of different cars that's very fun um and yeah i just i like driving cars i like talking about them i like fixing them um in fact literally before recording i was just uh doing a video on bleeding my uh car's brakes some sort of vlog style um so i uh i, I just enjoy being around them i guess talking about them um and so it's it felt kind of natural for me to uh, make content about that and to give myself the opportunity to go on press events and drive new cars and just have fun. Yeah, if you've got the passion for it, it's a case of I guess why not? Why not go for it? Talk about press events. Obviously, with the with the pandemic, press events aren't so much a thing as they used to be, but. Um... Is that is that your typical relationship with companies? Is like would they would they often invite you out to events or? Yeah, so um, obviously not from a, a necessarily a beginner standpoint, but from from for me um, in, in a normal year, yeah, <laughs> and a stress normal, yeah, um, uh, yeah. There's there there are often a, a fair number of of invites to press events. Most of them are reasonably local in fact most of them are in london um and so i often don't go to some of them um but yeah for for any launch that's reasonably sort of major for a company um or often just 
once a year kind of thing. Um, they'll often have press events. Uh, some of them can be a, a little bit more far flung. Uh, companies like AOC, Philips um, have uh, flown me around Europe kind of thing to, to different places. And uh, mostly it's just to have fun and, you know, for other people, other people to like drink. Um, and occasionally there's a, a tech product shown to you and you go, ah, and then like, go oh, back to the, cool. you know, driving <laughs> cars and whatever else. Um, so it, yes, um, it, it can be quite prevalent depending on what sort of person you are. There are a fair number of, of events that go on any given time. Um, and if you're the sort of person who is inclined to go to them, you could spend, you know, you could be going to one sort of one a week type thing without much difficulty. Speaking of company relationships, I don't think we can we can talk about that without without referencing what happened with MSI. <laughs> I I think you I subtly knew. <laughs> I think you subtly knew that was coming to some degree, but um, obviously details withholding if like if need be. But how how did that affect your outlook? Because obviously, like that would have affected like how you dealt with companies to an extent. Did that? Like it give you a more jaded view at all, or? Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm already a bit cynical, so not really. Um, <laughs> I think the the thing is, so I've had quite a few of those those sorts of interactions and experiences before. It's not uncommon. Um, the difference is normally the degree to which they go. So um, I've had companies who have asked me to uh, politely ask me, "Oh, could you change the title?" to something else um or could you uh like i've had a i've had a, an interesting one where um they said can you uh, set a video private for x amount of time um so that we can do x y and z um or uh occasionally they'll they'll say you know can you take it down the vast majority of the time, unless it's a very reasonable request like especially if i i've got something wrong with the video then um, I, I will, you know, in that case, I'll, I'll happily oblige and fix it as best as I can. But from a, please take the video down. If, I, if all it is is valid criticism and they're saying, take it down because we don't like the criticism, then, um, that's generally a no. And then I don't work with them again. Um, oh, I forgot. I've actually had an experience with one company that I, I, I shall not name, but that, uh, it's, a, my understanding is that it's run by a sort of one main guy and he uh is um i guess he's got his own view on the world um and if yours doesn't line up with his he's not very happy uh and he he ended up uh getting other reviewers to uh like lie in my comment section he used the company account to lie in my comment section and then threatened me on Facebook, like my personal Facebook page. That's fun. Um, yeah, it's a fun one. Um, yeah, so I, I've had those sorts of, of, of experiences um, and I normally, I'm, I'm normally able to handle them, what you might call in-house, without needing to, to talk about it overly publicly. But with the, the MSI situation, it was the fact that I had I had the request, I said no. I had another request, I said no. And then they went behind my back to AMD's UK sales team and tried to um, get them to t have me take it down. Yeah. And that's what pushed me over the edge. That's that's not okay. Yeah, that's... Like, don't go telling on me. <laughs> like, get a grip. <laughs> Yeah, is that's that sort of definitely crosses a line. Like I know that um, a lot of I know that another tech channel, Hardware Unboxed, they make a big point of this: is that if there's if there is like negative coverage in a review, they usually contact the company to validate their findings. And yeah, if it's if it's negative, yeah, they'll disagree. But for the most part, I I'd like to think that companies sort of accept it and say and try not to fight it, unlike unlike what MSI did in that instance. But... Yeah, the, the process is, is for, for most companies, is fine. The, the process is, if I find something that I think is broken or, or 
you know, not working right, then yeah, I'll happily go contact the company before the review goes live and say, hey, I found this thing, is this right? Um, and then normally they'll go away, they'll come back and say, yeah, that's right. And I go, cool, thanks. Um, I don't normally air any criticism of the product before launch. Um, it's normally a, like my my opinions normally stay to myself until until they go live. Um, but yeah, most companies, uh, honestly, most companies, PR reps know what, what is good and what's bad about the product. And as long as I'm not being, um, rude about it, uh, they normally go, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So most of it is just, yeah, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I think one of the standout things that happened with MSI, obviously when you went public all, with all of that is how how so much of the tech community rallied behind you to say no this isn't okay how how did you feel about that i was really surprised um i you know i i it was basically a series of tweets and within what two two days three days i had dedicated videos on what gamers lexus harbor unboxed and uh, a, a long story on wan show and it's kind of, uh, I guess, surreal is probably the, the, the right word. Um, I'm incredibly grateful. Uh, like that, that can't be understated. Um, and and if not for the, uh, the the support, I I don't think that the situation would have been, uh, remedied as as I suppose well as it was. If that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm incredibly grateful. <laughs> Yeah, having that big signal boost, I like. I was I was sort of viewing that at the time it was going on, and I just like I I love to see it because it was good to see everyone rallying behind a common cause because that like that wasn't okay by any stretch, and it was good to see everyone sort of stand to say, no, you 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 can't do that. <laughs> to to switch gears a little bit, like you'll stay on the topic of companies, but Intel, Intel, that's one thing that I wanted to ask you about. See, they've made. They've they've made some they've made some big claims. Pat Pat Gelsinger is in the chair. He's made some big claims. What do you want to see from them? So, interesting enough, I I literally today researched, wrote, and filmed a video about the sort of future of Intel and AMD. So I I am uh, well read on this <laughs> <laughs> on this topic. Convenient timing. Um, exactly. Um, I am. From from what I've seen from Alder Lake, which is the the next generation twelfth core CPUs, I am, I guess, cautiously optimistic with it. Um, the end result that I want to see is is fair and and level competition, right? Like that is the the best thing for the industry because uh, it's very clear that AMD has helped push Intel forward, and uh, I'm very much hoping that. Intel taking a leap forward with Alder Lake will push AMD to 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 push even harder for Zen Four in twenty twenty two and a bit. Um, but for from from the Intel side of things, uh, I, I would like to see less of the arbitrary restrictions. Um, so uh, one of the one of the things that I, I've mentioned quite a lot in uh, recent videos and, and topics is. Um, Intel's warranty policy. So with AMD, if you buy a Ryzen CPU, as long as you don't put 33 volts through it and explode it, you can pretty much return it warranty intact, right? Like overclock, I think it's like what, like custom P-state overclocking and um, maybe if you're using Precision Boost overdrive or whatever, PBO. Yeah, PBO. Um, that I think those two might technically void the warranty. But if you're doing straight up normal overclocking, if you're setting any memory speed you want, if you're using standard boost algorithms, um, or even I think uh, clock tuner for Ryzen, I don't think counts either. All of that is considered fine. Do what you want. But with an Intel CPU, if you dare to touch the multiplier, if you dare to set XMP to anything higher than their factory spec, which currently is ridiculously low for performance CPUs at 3200 megahertz and before that it was about 2933 
um, or any of the other settings that they themselves have enabled or developed, warranty's gone. What? <laughs> um, and uh, while they are getting better with this on uh, the new 500 series boards, the whole memory overclocking restriction on lower series boards is uh, was a, a terrible idea. And my understanding, and actually I asked um, Intel's UK PR manager uh, on a briefing call, is is the uh, memory overclocking going to be enabled on older chips and older platforms? You know, like how um, Ryzen does, uh, or AMD does BIOS updates that make older, like B450 boards support newer CPUs. Um, is that going to be a BIOS update? And he said, no, because there's some technical limit limitation. Um, and so, one, uh, I can't say that I understand. I don't think I got a follow-up answer from that. Um, but two, uh, no more of that, please. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's a bit, been a big theme in with Intel is just arbitrary restriction. I know that they got they caught a lot of heat when they locked memory overclocking to non Z boards. I think it was tenth, tenth gen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. But yeah. like from everyone's perspective, it was just the art, like artificially cutting value so that they could sell you like a Z board mm -hmm. or a case key. Yeah, it was things yeah. things like that. So that would be. That would be good to see, I think, because like you said, AMD is far more generous when it comes to like their coverage and warranties and everything mm. like that. For me, one of the other things that I would like to see uh, from Intel is uh, honestly power efficiency. Um, I'm hoping that with their uh, Alder Lake, which is meant to be on their 10 nanometer enhanced super thin um, process node, uh, I know. Uh, that will be more efficient, and especially because they're doing a big little configuration where they're doing eight, up to eight, uh, what are they called? Gravemont? Um, Something like that. Um, I've got this. I can get the script up, actually. Because it's got it in it. Uh, da, 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 da. Gracemont. Gracemont cores. Oh, okay, yeah. Um. So yeah, because they're doing uh, Big Little with uh, up to eight Gracemont cores and then up to eight Golden Cove cores. So the Golden Cove cores are the same ones that uh, are currently being backported to 14 nanometer for, uh, they're called Cypress Cove in, um, what's it called? Rocket Lake. Uh, so for uh, Alder Lake, that will be better. But I'm not convinced that it's going to be uh world's better it's not going to be comparable to you know the 15 and 50x which is a 16 core cpu and that only draws 140 watts under full load the 11900k in my own testing drew 314 at peak well over double with with half the full cores mm. yes yeah, I, like as much as as much as the um like the 11th gen is because like, it's a it's a 10 nanometer architecture that has been backported to 14, which also explains the the non no 10 core skew because it's not as simple as oh it's it's 40 percent bigger. No, it's 14 times 14, which is double the effective area compared to 10 by 10. The thing to note about the nanometers is that it's um the the actual nanometer name nomenclature doesn't measure the transistor size anymore um i think that stopped at like 32 nanometer or something um after that it was uh, they are increasing density but it's not um like so seven nanometer isn't the gate width of the transistor or or, or any physical measurement it's a uh step um a, a slight, a big enough step in in transistor density uh, to call it something different, but it's not actually um, because, for context, silicon itself uh, physically cannot hold itself together at anything less than five nanometer, and we're currently like AMD is just uh, next year about to go to TSMC's five nanometer process, not actually five nanometer. Yeah. <laughs> That makes that you makes have a lot of sense. Like, migration. 
makes a lot more sense when you put it like that. So I, I remember seeing that um, it's like AMD and Intel's like nanometers aren't directly comparable. When you look at densities. Yeah, whereas I've, um, Mr. Well, Dr. Ian Cutrus uh, tweeted a little while ago about the estimated transistor densities, and I've got it somewhere. Um, I was just trying to see if I know where it is. Uh, there it is. So um, TSMC's peak transistor density at uh, 7 nanometer, which is what AMD is currently using, is uh, seven, uh, 91 million transistors per millimeter squared, whereas Intel's current 14 nanometer is 37.5. So somewhere between a half and a third um, less well, a third of, of AMD's current transistor, peak transistor density. Um, with that said, when AM, uh, Intel does switch to 10 nanometer, that goes up to 101 uh, million transistors per millimeter, so actually exceeds TSMC 7. Yeah, that will, that will definitely be interesting to see, because it, like, it will definitely put your um, wishes for power efficiency. That will be the test, because that will I think that will be the most comparable point, because when AMD moves to 5... The air quote five nanometer yeah. for for Zen Zen four, it will it will, of course it will be more dense, but it will be a different scale, which I think is it's annoying. Yeah, that it so, isn't standardized. Yeah, uh, so TSMC's five nanometer is one hundred seventy one, so it's seventy one percent more dense than Intel's ten nanometer. Another thing I'm interested in is how they're going to handle the big. Like the big little architecture, because that's that's so. I think it's so different to what we've seen. I mean, we've seen it in ARM, we've seen it in ARM, but except for x86, I'm very curious to see how they'll handle it. Yeah. So uh, when I was doing my research earlier, I found out that um, the big little, or what Intel call uh, Intel Hybrid Technology, because they've got to have their own name for everything. Yep. Um, is something that they have done before in x86. Not, not on mass market, not in on a part that you would have used, but uh, they do have some experience with building CPUs to do that. I think the key thing will be building a uh, task scheduler and making the Windows task scheduler context aware. Um, because one of the things that Apple did with the M1, which also uses the big little configuration, yeah. um, is they because they have uh sort of full stack control they they control the operating system which obviously has the task scheduler um and the hardware level uh they uh can write the operating system and the, the task scheduler to uh, only schedule uh sort of lightweight tasks to the lightweight cores and then when it it works out that a, a more heavyweight task you know Final Cut or Premiere or whatever else is running, it can then go and wake up the the high power, high performance cores. But until that point, they can stay um, on standby on C state. So Intel will need to do that well um, and get Windows to integrate that into the Windows Task Scheduler to get the uh, efficiency benefits. Yeah, I definitely think that's the biggest hurdle is getting the software to play ball because it's like like you said. Um, with the M1 and how they've managed to do it. That's one thing I would definitely give Apple credit for is how well they managed to just seem like a normal a normal desktop experience. You have no idea that it's on a fundamentally different architecture than any other Apple machine. Yeah. But one thing... Yeah, that's definitely one thing that I'm curious for is to see how they handle it. <laughs> uh, you've had... I know you mentioned before it's been over nine years since you started, and but in that time, what would you say is is like if you had one product that was like your favorite to review or one that you'd most recommend to people, what would you turn to? Do you mean specific product or product category? To do you prefer laptops or CPUs or? I can get a bit nerdier with with like CPUs and GPUs. Um, whereas with laptops, you tend to, you tend to have to abstract and look at the, the whole picture, look at, you know, how the display works, how the, the, the um, 
cooling system and the performance and then the the cpu versus gpu performance the upgradability the usability the, the blah 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 um so there's a lot of there's a lot of factors to to look at um i think peripherals are probably one that i would say uh, i i'm not as as interested in mm-hmm. um i do them every now and again but uh it's not something that i have quite as much of a passion for um i actually i really enjoy uh reviewing monitors it's kind of weird but it's it's one where it's a reasonably simple thing for me to to go and do, but it makes a very big difference to your your gaming experience. Having a, a really nice monitor that's nice and fast, high refresh rate, um, low input lag, uh, and good colors, that's something that can make a big difference. So probably monitors. Say with laptops, you have to encompass the whole product. There's so many moving parts to it that you can't really go you can't really go in depth on like particular aspects because you still have to balance it with the rest but say like monitors cpus you can get you can get right in there you can nerd out yeah exactly <laughs> although benchmarking is a pain i don't automate all that much um i really should i can i can never get around to it um so yeah it's it's a bit of a pain to to be sitting at a, a pc waiting for a 30 minute render to be done i tend to go and do something else <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I think there's very few people in the world who like doing massive benchmarking sessions. Maybe Steve from Gamers Nexus. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I had a problem when I first started writing scripts. Um, all of the videos that I would do were like four minutes long, um, and YouTube generally prefers longer content, give or take. Depends on the content, but um, yeah, I, uh, I I had a bit of a problem with. Um, most of the videos were like four, maybe five minutes long, and I'd be reviewing like a CPU, and that's just not not right. So I've been getting better at, at yeah, telling a story. Hmm. So is that is that the angle you play when you like try to make a video? It's not so much like review the product. Is there like do you ever try and go for a particular like a narrative or like driving question behind behind a video? Yeah. Um. I've uh, over time. You know, you, you you learn, you 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 develop your 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 style and and what you want to do and talk about. And um, I've found that the videos where I can, uh, I'm still inevitably telling us telling at, at reviewing a product and showing benchmarks and all that sort of stuff. But when I can uh, tell a story over a sort of narrative arc, if you like, like with the. Um, uh, 11900k video um where i'm I'm kind of laying out the backstory uh making it giving you an idea of of where it sits in the market showing you through the benchmarks showing you where it where it might be a bit better where it's definitely terrible um and then sort of giving my my thoughts and opinions if i can try and, and shape it into a bit of an arc that tends to do better. It tends to be a more enjoyable video to watch, and it tends to mean that people want to watch both Linus's and mine, you know, <laughs> rather than just oh, it's another boring review. Like I've already seen one, so I don't need another person's, you know, sixteen different charts and graphs. So when I can, yeah, doesn't always fit. Yeah, definitely. It's like constructing a, a a through line that sort of ties the whole thing together. Yeah, I, I I do my best to do that. Like I said, it doesn't always fit. Um, some products innately aren't that interesting, <laughs> um, or don't necessarily like if they're if they're just uniquely average or uniquely like fine. Um, it's it can be very hard if the if they don't have any real defining features to talk about and to a point it can get me in trouble because if you're if i'm trying to pick a narrative arc and the narrative arc happens to be you know this product does something dumb then the whole video ends up feeling like this product is dumb which is kind of the thing that i'm trying to get across but it also yeah it doesn't necessarily come across as fair and balanced which some people won't be happy with yeah that's i can i can see that being a struggle but if there's if there's anything I've learned from like seeing how things went down with MSI as we talked about earlier, it's that 
like having like integrity and like having sort of transparency like this is this is my like honest unbiased review that's like the main thing that you should have when especially if going into this kind of industry yeah, there's a lot of people that um let's say don't share that philosophy <laughs> um there's a lot of people who you would find a review like titled review but at the very end you find out that the company is paying that person um or has bought uh ad space on a given website that happens to be reviewing their products um or a variety of things but yeah i i find if having having integrity having respect for i guess yourself and your audience um means that it's at the very least people can trust you they can know that what you're saying is at very least your honest opinion even if it uh you might you know miss some things or mess some things up or whatever at least you are um true <laughs> and valiant in your efforts um and so yeah it's it just makes sense like uh when when the MSI situation happened i made uh you know plenty of jokes about different things and uh people were saying well how much how much were they gonna pay you um and that wasn't discussed or anything just to make it clear but yeah. um and you know the, the the question of well how much would they needed to have paid you and my answer was probably about 10 year salary because otherwise like if i were to take any money career over right like who's who's going to stick around and watch someone who's reviewing products but is happy to take money for like you know to 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 shun negative criticism like uh, you would have to pay me off to never to then never need to make YouTube videos again. Otherwise, there is zero point in me doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like as soon as as soon as you take like you, you take the money, it's like your re your reputation. You can't really rebuild that because that will stick in that will stick with people. Yeah, have, having integrity is it definitely helps with the fanboy arguments. It definitely, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. I imagine you have fun with dealing with the fanboys, huh? So I, I do a, a weekly live stream on Thursday nights. I always forget. Um, and uh, it's a sort of I, I label it tech support, but it's a, a, a just a chat, you know, with with everybody. Um, and if people have questions to ask, they they ask away. Um, and one of the questions that I get, not every week, but relatively often, is um you know who do you prefer intel or amd amd or nvidia you know whatever brand whatever brand right um and my answer is pretty much always none of them i care about which product is best i care about which like uh, what our product is is the best value for money the the best feature set the best fit for for my needs and use case if like if if the the positions were flipped and it was Intel had uh, what a tenth the the revenue of of AMD, and uh, were making CPUs that were over twice as power efficient with double the cores and therefore double the performance. Then yeah, I'd be recommending Intel right now because it's better. It's it's a it, it would be a better product. It would be a better buy for money. It would be a a better choice but they're not so i'm recommending amd right now on the whole with that said intel's new 11400f actually looks like an amazing value for money and so maybe i'll recommend that for now mm. um but so the, the 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 idea that you should care about a company who most definitely doesn't care about you probably not the best idea um, and so, yeah, the, the fanboy arguments are, are utterly fantastic because you get two people watch the same video and get two different conclusions. One person can watch, uh, say, an Intel video and call me an Intel shell. And on the very same video, I can be called an AMD shell for some other 
criticism that I levied at Intel instead of AMD. I don't know how. I I don't know why. <laughs> I also don't really care because those those people are, are very clearly set in their ways, and uh, my my only concern is their disruption of a genuine conversation and uh, and genuine debate. If if they're interrupting that, then I have a problem with them. Otherwise, they can live in their own bubbles, and I don't care. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been there for some of the live streams, and it is it's fun seeing some of like some of the points, some of the arguments. It's definitely interesting, <laughs> but it's literally in the same breath. Like you, like you just said, it's like you'd you'd happily recommend AMD at the moment because they are the better products. They're making the better processors, but in the same breath, the eleven four hundred F great value CPU. It's like mm -hmm. demonstrates the point perfectly. Look, the allegiance is to the good product, not to the company. I mean, AMD doesn't have a um, a competitor in that space at the moment. The, there is no 5600 non-X, and the 5600X is already uh, £100 more than the 11600K, and that's already, what, 50 or so, £70 more than the 11400F. So uh, in that price bracket, AMD doesn't have competition unless you want to look at the 3600 or 3600X, which is a lot slower so yeah m makes sense right yeah um, <laughs> but if you want to spend 500 pounds in a cpu do not get the dumpster fire that is the 11600k rather than the 900k <laughs> just don't yeah it's like i i'm in like the lucky the lucky handful to have managed to get a 5000 series like i've got a 5900x that's powering this recording right now but at the same time i'm waiting like an a thousand odd position in the queue for a 3080. So at the moment, I've got the equivalent of a supercharger taped to a hamster wheel. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I managed to get um, a 1500X, which I will be putting in my system at some point. Keep forgetting. Um, I've got a 3900X, so it's hardly a, a, a an insane upgrade. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't dare look at. Uh, graphics cards because they're just not available and nah <laughs> yeah. so i ordered mine pretty much like near like near launch day it was it was the tough 3080 non-oc and i'm still a q position 1100 odd and it's it's crazy to me it's it's been Yikes. so long yeah <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, do you have any perspective on the shortages at the moment? Yeah, so from the, the CPU perspective, the 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 immediate reason why the the uh the 5900X and the 5950X are out of stock is the way that AMD designs their CPUs, they're uh, based on chiplets. So each of the uh, core dies as opposed to the IO die um will either have at this point six or eight cores on it. And uh, if because the, the both the 5900X and the 5950X are uh, two chiplet core um, processors versus a uh, single chiplet for the 5600 and 5800X, AMD essentially has a choice there. Manufacture two 5600 or 5800Xs from two eight core, six core chi uh, core chiplets or manufacture one 5950X or one 5900. So that's why the, the lower end ones are in stock, but the upper two aren't. Um, but the reason why the lower end ones are in stock at all is mostly just down to physical size. Those chiplets are, you know, like the size of a fingernail. They're pretty small. Yeah. So you can, in fact, they're actually small on that. Um, but you can, so on a, on a, Oh, the bigger the 300 mil wafer, 500 mil wafer, whatever size wafer you've got um, when you're manufacturing those chips, you can fit hundreds of those core dies on a single wafer and therefore manufacture, you know, 100 CPUs from a single die rather than the new GPUs, which are massive bits of silicon. Like they are, what, 600 millimeter squared or something? Yeah, I think it's about 500 to 600 mils, millimeter squared for the higher SKUs. Yeah, so like you can only fit ten of those on a wafer or whatever, right? So, uh, and especially in the effective range, because anything more than the 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 width you you can't make use of anyway, because they won't be complete chips. But 
you know, so so you can only manufacture whatever you know, ten of those or whatever per wafer, and so if uh, you you buy in a quantity of wafers, so if you buy ten thousand wafers, well, then you can manufacture a hundred thousand GPUs, or you can manufacture what ten million CPUs. That's the reason why there, there there is a discrepancy between the CPUs are now back in stock, at least for the lower end two, versus the GPUs that are still potentially months away from being in development. Um, I suppose on the, the development note, um, this isn't necessarily uh, an all-out supply chain or a silicon manufacturing problem. It was a forecasting problem. Um, so uh, people like AMD and NVIDIA um, normally have to make the decision of how many chips to order 6, 12, 18 months in advance, depending on, on who they're manufacturing with and that sort of stuff. Um, so NVIDIA would have made that decision well before the pandemic started, well before anything yeah. started. And so um, they they would have made the decision when this is how many GPUs we, we need to to manufacture, this is how many we think we're we're gonna sell. And they're in a comfortable position right now, right? Because all the only uh like consumer rage that is available is because there isn't enough of them. And that's the consumer rage you want. Yeah. Right. Like if if they were overstocked and they're just sitting on shelves, that's a very bad thing for video, whereas We've sold out of them instantly. It's kind of a better position to be in, yeah. um, because they know that they can then go and manufacture another batch. And oh look, it's sold out again. Manufacture another batch. Oh look, it's sold out again. Um, and so it keeps that that uh, demand high uh, over time and hype high over time. Um, so that's the the position they're happier to be in. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's that doesn't even take into account things like the failure rates. Like, not all GPUs are gonna be are gonna meet like thirty eighty, thirty ninety, sixty nine hundred XT standards, and but that combined with like as you said, the high demand and the low supply, like the scalper market has absolutely exploded. Like, it's gone completely crazy. Yeah, it definitely has. Um, there was already a, a scalper market for things like uh, concert tickets and things, you know, Ticketmaster. Um, but the those bots were very quickly turned on on tech purchases. And actually, any any uh, any product that is uh, clearly has high demand and therefore a chance of a higher resale value, um, because it, it's basically free money. For, for those scalpers, it's it's well, you train bot to buy buy product. They buy product, get sent to a warehouse, and or your house or whatever. You keep it in a shed. Who cares? Uh, and then you sell it for potentially double its asking price. You cover some some insured shipping. And on a two thousand pound graphics card, if it's a thirty ninety, and someone the I would call idiot pays four thousand pounds for one. Um, yeah, you just made call it fifteen hundred on a very bad day. Yeah, for for no real effort on your part. So it, it, I I can understand why they're doing it. I it doesn't mean that I don't ha- I don't hate them for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would definitely like to see more. Uh, let's say restrictions in place. More. Um, uh, checks more Cloudflare, more um, bot like anti-spam um, features built into to those e- those sorts of e-commerce sites. Obviously, the, the limiting to purchase one uh, and doing it more intelligently than just you can only have one in your basket at a time. Cool. Well, I'll just get my bot to to fill out a hundred baskets, but to the same address. Well, that's yeah. You got to you got to check the addresses and stuff. And I know that some companies were deliberately. Um, I think it was Overclock UK who I spoke to. They said they were um, holding back uh, shipping orders until they manually verified that the address wasn't one that they'd seen before, or something like that. I, 
don't quote me on that, but yeah. um, they they were manually checking through orders of those high stock it- or high demand items to make sure that it wasn't going to scalpers. It wasn't going to people who used bots to buy it. It was going to to genuine gamers. No, on the note of Overclockers UK, I two things actually. First off, I think what they they employed a very clever tactic, which was listing the thirty seventy launch under three D printers. So, <laughs> that's, yeah. yeah, for for a good time, that did throw off the bots until they caught on. So, that that was a clever tactic. But the other main point I want to hit on is that the blame shouldn't reside on the retailers. Like I've I've scoured the forums. Like I've I've lurked on the specifically the OC UK forums for a good couple months, sort of as I kept track of order, etc. But and they they are doing everything they can i mean like you said like allegedly they are checking all the addresses to make sure that it's no repeats to make sure that it's actually getting out to as many genuine users as possible so retailers are doing everything they can it's like they're at the mercy of like further up the supply chain i think we actually made a point of that in our first episode but yeah it's um it's it's a difficult it's definitely a difficult situation to negotiate like there's no right answer i mean com- the companies are loving it because everyone's clamoring for their products left right and center and they'll do anything they can to to get them mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's not the greatest situation for us us lowly humans at the bottom end and on that optimistic note <laughs> say oh what is it massive massive thank you again for coming on mate um you got any any plugs you wanted to make any like slot in promo uh well if you if, if any content creators are watching i run a website called locally links which you can check out uh it's uh, a global short linking site for people who use amazon affiliates um it's something that i use i built for myself and it's very handy um and can make you more money which sounds like a scam but i, I promise it's probably not <laughs> <laughs> we love money uh, i'm a terrible salesman. <laughs> uh and yeah if you if you don't know me then feel free to check out me at techtimg.co.uk and uh youtube.com and thanks for having me lovely it's a links will be in the youtube description and in our description on spotify apple podcast all the rest of it but that's all for this episode take care everyone thanks again to andrew and we will see you in a couple of weeks <laughs>